1: Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a senior economist here at Combank and today I'm joined by Martin Wetton, our head of fixed income and currency. Strategy. Now, Martin. First in person podcast for around nine months. Nice. It it is a big topic and one that we're frequently getting asked about is debt. We're about a week out from the federal budget, so it's really going to come back into a topic du jour. Uh, So, we're going to talk about Australia's debt and how we've learned to love the debt mountain. And it's probably a good place to start to think about the last 30 years and how our view. On debt has changed. And it's been about 30 years since governments around the world have really focused on paying down debt, budget surpluses. How have you, how are you looking at the past 30 years and that change in mantra around debt?
0: Thanks, Belinda. Well, first of all, that makes me feel very old to, th- to, uh, <laughs> to think about the last 30 years of the debt market. But uh, look, a lot has changed over the last 30 years in debt markets. Um, around 30 years ago, well, I think it was, you had the you had, the, um, you had the US presidency with uh, Bill Clinton and his speechwriter, James Carville, one of his strategists and speechwriters, uh, famously coined the term that he used to want to come back as a baseball hitter or someone famous. But actually, he wanted to come back as the bond market because you could scare the hell out of everyone. <laughs> Um, And back then, that term of the bond vigilantes, who were basically investors who held governments to ransom because of their absolute or relative debt levels, was a really big thing. And if you fast forward to where we are now, every country in the world's got debt, every developed country, every um, developing country does. And particularly in the last couple of years as they've had to spend money for the pandemic, yet it's not blown anyone up or, 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 you know, destroyed economies. um, And we're able to cope with it, you know, pretty well.
1: Look, I know like even leading up to the global financial crisis, we had continual budget surpluses. It was a a shock during the GFC when Australia's budget did go into deficit and quite a big deficit, mind you. But we are pretty quick to want to bring that back into surplus and pay down the debt. But what's not often thought about is whether or not that's the right thing to do from a demand management point of view, but whether or not it's needed to. Governments exist in perpetuity. Is it the right thing for governments to try to pay down debt or does it come down much more to what they're using that debt for?
0: Great question. I I might answer the the last bit first, and that is what they're using it for. In the GFC, we use that for investment (laughs) spending and you could see that it turbocharged the economy in the years afterwards. Um, This time round, it's more been around... uh, you know, fiscal transfers to people, to, to mums and dads or to all people in the population, and that's been used for fueling consumption, why we've got a really strong economy now. So that's sometimes what you can use as the distinction between good debt being the first bit and bad debt, although I'd hasten to add... I wouldn't call the current situation in the economy a bad situation. It's obviously a very strong economy. So if I go back to the part where you asked the question, is it good to pay back debt? Look, I think we we got used to these big budget surpluses in Australia where um, Treasury would regularly... um, underestimate how much money we were getting in the mining boom. And that was doled out in, I think it was eight consecutive t- tax cuts in the early 2000s. We, we swam in these rivers of iron ore rather than gold. And uh, that helped us build this view that we were, I guess, impregnable on our balance sheet. The idea of paying back government debt really came from Margaret Thatcher in the UK in the 1980s. And it became this totem of belief that you must have a budget surplus to be more like a household. Whereas, as you say, a government acts in perpetuity. So when we pay back debt, if we think of just logistically how it happens, a government has a bond due, call it tomorrow, it has the money in its account, it can just pay those bondholders out, it has taxation. Whereas household, if my mortgage came due tomorrow in one hit, well I wouldn't have the money for it. So we pay these things off in stages and that's how it works really for the bond market. It's just that a government can do it in a more in an easier way. So do we should we run budget surpluses or deficits? If we run a deficit, you know that money is into the private sector that is, is used for investment or consumption, um, It is ideal, I suppose, to have something closer to, to a budget balance but if you two way one if you're too far one way or the other obviously it does raise raise questions with rating agencies that's another topic but in the end those things don't matter too much for the price of the money that the government has
1: so it's interesting i'm just looking at a chart in your report and you know for many listeners maybe people particularly who haven't been in the market you know over decades but australia almost was going to close its bond market around 20 years ago wasn't it so looking at charts about Australia's lifting net debt which is approaching one trillion dollars over the next few years It's, it's a huge amount from almost having no debt how is it going to evolve over coming years and also how are investors approaching Australia's debt position at the moment because it has grown it's still low compared to global standards but it certainly has changed recently.
0: The last question on on, um, how investors are looking at it it is very low you know we're down the bottom end of the net debt to GDP scale compared to many countries Japan uh, you know very very high net debt to GDP 170 odd percent or in gross terms 260 percent it hasn't impacted the cost of their money I think that's the first thing to to note. So it doesn't mean that you become uh, a country where no one will lend you money. Um, Investors see Australia as a safe bet. It has the highest rating, uh, uh, credit rating from all the rating agencies. It has a very large share that is held offshore, although that's been declining by about 20 percentage points over the last few years. That's both because international or domestic investors have been buying more debt uh, through choice, And uh, because the level of our bonds in yield terms is a little bit lower than where it was a few years back when it was a very attractive market to be involved in. But they're not worried about that debt. I mean, we'll get to a trillion dollars. From that $55 billion we got to in the early 2000s, and I do remember it well, because most of us thought, well, we're out of a job. They're going to shut the bond market, which was kind of the plan. But economies move in cycles, And so, you know, you you might be swimming in revenue one day and then you have a recession not long after and suddenly you need to borrow again. And that's what we've been able to do. We have this ability to borrow and the government has an ability to almost mandate banks, or there is a mandate for banks to own the paper, but they've got a central bank these days who can buy it from them if they need to. And for many people, oh, gosh, that's one hand taking it from the other. Yes, it is, but... There's no chicanery or trickery around it. It's been going on for a long time and it's simply a way to uh, make markets function and for governments to be able to raise money if they need to to pay for things like pandemics. So the international investment view of Australia is not one that we've spent our money recklessly on frippery and so forth. Um, It's one where we're still a very... The top-rated credit and... Investors are very happy to buy our our debt.
1: So we're one week out from the federal budget for 2022. Economies change, populations change, and the need of that population changes as well. So when we think about the next... One year, two year, five years, ten years, there's still a lot of spending needs in the Australian economy that the government is going to have to fund. So in your paper you've noted things like defence, the NDIS, climate change, these are all really important issues that government needs to be spending money on. The question is, how is the government going to do it and how is it going to impact our debt position? And also, how do investors feel about that as well?
0: The impact on the government's debt position is that we have a fairly narrow tax base here in Australia. Um but we have to confront the idea that if you want to have budget surpluses because that's the, I guess, the political goalpost that you, you aim at, then you have to make choices. And does that mean we spend less on defence or more on health care or less on health care, less on education? We have to fund these choices that we have. And it's not like you can have your cake and eat it, but it's also not a situation of you can't have both. You can do it. Um, and it's not through the, the miracle of the, uh, what's called MMT or modern, modern monetary theory where the central bank just buys everything. It, that's simply not how it works. Investors will, however, make a distinction that if your economy is not growing and it is not dealing with the hurdles in front of it, you'll be less of a good investment And I think on the climate change one, there are many investors around the world who simply through their mandates will only end up owning government debt or corporate debt or uh, bank debt, where there is an element that reflects the risks on insurance, climate change, and those challenges that you say, well, they are here and now, but I guess in many people's eyes there, well, that's something for 10 to 20 years' time. So they are things that we need to act with some alarm and and, uh, speed on. And in order to do that, they are choices that the government will have to make around what they decide to do in funding those uh, remediations.
1: So we've just been talking about how Australia's debt position has been rising. It's been rising, uh, you know, because of the pandemic, but also beforehand too – One area that we do like to focus on is the interest cost of that debt. So we're talking here in Australia about higher official interest rates. That's going to impact mortgage holders and a lot of our listeners. But what does it mean for the government as well? What do higher interest rates mean for this debt that they do hold? And will that cause any challenges going forward?
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a great question and it's one that we get fairly frequently from, uh, from investors but also um, a lot of corporates. So one thing to look at is that the public debt cost as a percentage of GDP, and obviously because the GDP part has grown as well, is really low. It's less than 1% of our GDP and that's down from around 3% uh, 30 years ago as you, as you discuss and it's been flatlining for the best part of 10 years. So it's a really low number. It's a very affordable number. And as interest rates rise, and obviously not just CBA, but uh, the market expects that to happen, the RBA will will lift rates this year and and into next year, that does lift the cost of new debt. But Australia issues fixed-rate debt, and there's a really important word there, it's fixed. So what the AOFM, as the government's borrowing arm, does is it goes out as long as it can and borrows, you know, long-term money and that helps navigate their borrowing costs through cycles, about two cycles of an election. So about seven and a half years. It's actually almost closer to three cycles in the current way politics has worked in Australia, but it's a long time. And that's important because it means that as interest rates rise, the cost of new debt does rise, but it's such a small percentage of the overall debt that gets redone each year. So in total, it doesn't mean that we are paying suddenly a whole lot more interest and therefore we have fewer choices with what we do with our money. And I think that is a really critical thing to understand because you do hear a lot that the interest costs will stop us spending money on education or healthcare and so forth, and it's just uh, not the way it works in reality.
1: All right, Marty, that's been great to kind of... Take a step back and and think a little bit more holistically about Australia's debt position in the lead-up to a federal budget but also a lead-up to a federal election as well. Thanks for joining today.
0: Thanks very much.